You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. Satan is always introducing into our minds those nagging anxieties that cause us to doubt the faithfulness of God. You may have had a victory yesterday and fallen to defeat today. So I love the graciousness of our God. He remembers, he knows, look, he knows what I'm made of. He didn't come in and slap me upside the head and say, well, my goodness, look at the victory I just gave you. Why are you afraid now? God is so faithful. His promises are true. And despite our failures and lack of faith, He'll provide where we lack. In today's message, Pastor Danny teaches about Abram and the king of Sodom. God comes to Abram after his victory over Sodom and says, don't be afraid. I'm your shield, your very great reward. Abram was offered all the riches by the king of Sodom and he resisted. He knew that all the riches in the world wouldn't satisfy. Only God can do that. Having God in your life is better than any riches you can find on earth. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Genesis chapter 15 as he begins his message, Faith, Patience, and the Promises of God. Genesis chapter 15, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Now, uh, anytime God speaks, uh, he doesn't waste words. He knows what's happening. And so if he ever says to you or me, don't be afraid, don't say, I'm not afraid. (laughs) Because he knows. Why would he say, don't be afraid, uh, if you're not afraid? Now, why would Abram be afraid at this point? He's just come back from he and 318 trained men from his household defeating numerous kings and their armies. It was a supernatural victory. Melchizedek, who is Christ, comes and meets him, brings out bread and wine, and reminds him, blessed be Abram and blessed be God most high, who's delivered your enemies into your hands. If it weren't for God, uh, you'd have never gotten that victory. It was a supernatural victory. And why would you be afraid right after coming back from a victory like that? Here's what one writer said. He said it so well. Let me just read it. Satan is always introducing into our minds those nagging anxieties to cause us to doubt the faithfulness of God. Now, it doesn't tell us, but it could be that even after a great victory like that, maybe Abram's thinking, what if they rally forces and come back after me? What if the enemy is now so angry because of the great victory? Listen, some of the greatest defeats in the Bible for believers is right after tremendous victory. Remember Elijah on Mount Carmel? 
And God uses him to defeat all these 800 plus false prophets. Fire falls from heaven, consumes the sacrifice in the wood and the water, everything. And nobody had a doubt that day. God is the God of Elijah. He is the true God. And after that great victory, Jezebel, Jezebel, this woman, not just any woman, she's wicked and she's powerful. And that's a combination. <laughs> a wicked woman who was powerful. Oh, and he ran. He ran for his life. After standing before 800 plus false prophets and seeing God answered by fire from heaven, he runs. And for a period of time, he was defeated. Let me read it again. I love what this commentator said. Satan is always introducing into our minds those nagging anxieties to cause us to doubt the faithfulness of God. You may have had a victory yesterday and fallen to defeat today. So I love the graciousness of our God. He remembers, he knows, look, he knows what I'm made of. He didn't come in and slap me upside the head and say, well, my goodness, look at the victory I just gave you. Why are you afraid now? He comes to Abram after this tremendous victory, and he says, don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. I am your shield. In other words, I am your defender. I will take care of you. You don't have to fear. Those kings or anybody else. I am your shield. And then he says, your very great reward. Remember the king of Sodom after that victory? He comes out and he says, give me the people. You keep the loot. You keep the loot. And Abram says, I've raised my hand to the Lord most high. I will not accept anything from you. Not even a shoelace, basically. So that you'll never be able to say you made Abram rich. I'm not in league with you. I'm in league with heaven. And of course, the king of Sodom is, is representative of Lucifer, just the opposite of Melchizedek, who is Christ. And then he gives Melchizedek a tenth of what he does keep, saying, I wouldn't have anything if it wasn't for you. And now God says, don't be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield. I'll continue to be your defender, but I'm also your very great reward. Let me just move just for a minute away from Genesis, and go to Psalm 73. Uh, you can look at it, just write it down. Just one verse, I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to read a second one right after it. Psalm 73. Listen to what Asaph, this great worship leader in biblical history, was inspired to write. Psalm 73, verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. Psalm 84 and verse 10. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. You know, the best thing about heaven, I've said this before, a good reminder though, best thing about heaven is God, not streets of gold, not gates of pearl. No. Best thing about heaven is, is God. He spoke to me years ago, and I've never forgotten it. I wrote it down again in my notes, typed it in here. And he spoke, and I, I quote, put quotation marks because it was a direct, one of those rhema words for me. It was a personal word. It was one of those times you knew this, this was God. 
And here's what he said. I am more glorious than my creation. I am more glorious. You think of anything God has created. I love seeing Louis Giglio when he does the things with the stars and you, you see all those pictures of the stars from the Hubble telescope and these amazing, amazing stars and constellations that God has created. And you say, wow, God's more wow than that. The most wow thing about heaven is going to be God. So he says, Abram, I'm your shield. Don't be afraid. And I'm your great reward. Listen, better than rubies, better than diamonds, better than anything Wall Street has to offer is having God. Then verse 2, but Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, you've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Now again... I appreciate the grace of God because he, he remembers, he knows that we are, we are dust. He knows our frame. He knows our weaknesses. Because now, this is after God has already given his promise to Abram. He did it more than once. He said in chapter 12, uh, verse 2, I'll make you into a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. You'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I'll curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Chapter 13, verse 16. I'll make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. And yet Abram's saying, but how, how do I know? How do I know? And again, God doesn't slap him upside the head. Here's what it says. Look at verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. Now, just a reminder, when Abram began this journey of fate, he was 75 years old. And he's older than that now. He took him outside and he said, look up at the heavens and count the stars. If indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Every time I read that verse, it takes me back to a mission trip that a few of us went on years ago when our friends Paul and Dory Pittman, uh, still missionaries, now they're in Costa Rica, but their original ministry was in Bolivia. And we were in the mountains of Bolivia. I mean, higher than I've ever been in my life, higher than when I used to do drugs. I mean, it, it, we were high. But thank God it wasn't drugs this time. And uh, it, we were in the middle of nowhere. And there are just four of us uh, at this one particular point, four or five of us, I think, and we were driving back from uh, an all-day trip to a village where Paul and Dory were looking to go and, and minister. And we're on our way back, and it was an all-day trip total, you know, so now it's night. And we're on this road. There's nobody else on the road. There's no street lights. There's no lights at all anywhere. There's no houses. And we're way up in the mountains, and, and it's a cool night, and it's clear and crisp, and all of a sudden, we realize somebody looks outside the window and looks up. We stop the car. We stop the car, pulled it over on the side of the road, and we all laid down, 
for who knows how long. We just laid down and looked up, and it was like the stars were right there. I have never seen stars like that in my life. Now, they've always been there. That's what it would have been like for Abram. Here he is, middle of nowhere. <laughs> and he looks up, and he sees these stars, and God says, that's how your offspring is going to be. And don't you love this next verse? Verse 6. Abram believed the Lord. He believed him. And he credited it to him as righteousness. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. He believed. And he knew. It was going to take a miracle, but he believed it. He believed somehow he and Sarah, his wife, are going to have a child. It would be a miraculous conception. It'd be a miracle. And through that child, other children, as numerous as the stars, if you could count them, so shall your offspring be. He also said to him, verse 7, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. That, that's a whole message right there. He just reminds him where he brought him from and what he's going to inherit. He brought him up from Ur of the Chaldeans. He was, a, he was a, an idolater. If, if I were here... He'd be saying to me, I brought you up out of Ur of the Carolinas. He brought you up out of Ur of wherever you grew up to take possession. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I gain, how can I know that I'll gain possession of it? Here he goes again. Here's that humanness. Here's that humanness. So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. Now, why would the Holy Spirit put something like that there? He doesn't waste any words. Why is that there? I don't have any doubt the birds of prey represent evil. If you just stop there for just a minute, you look at Matthew chapter 13. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 3, the parable of the seed and the sower, and what I want to read is just these two verses, verses 3 and 4. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came. And ate it up. Same chapter, if you jump down to verse 18, he says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. You go to the next chapter, Matthew, or same chapter, I'm sorry, chapter 13 and verse 31. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree. So that, catch this, the birds of the air come and perch 
in its branches. Some people believe that's not a negative. I believe it is because the birds here are evil. Why do I believe that? Well, not only because of the parable of the seed and the sower, but you look at verse 33, the next parable. He then told another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour and until it worked all through the dough. Well, yeast is definitely evil in biblical language. And the idea is in the church, in the true church, you will have weeds. We know that. You'll have those that aren't true, aren't really God's children. And so I just read those to point out, I believe, back in Genesis 15, these birds of prey, these birds of prey, they come down. And Abram, he drives them away. These are, these are representative of the evil one trying to foul things up, no pun intended. I guess that was intended. It just wasn't preplanned. And this is fascinating what happens. Genesis 15, verse 12. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep. This is very important. And a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. This is not just your normal darkness. Then the Lord said to him, catch this. The Lord's speaking, but he's asleep. Are you with me? Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they'll be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I'll punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they'll come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace, be buried at a good old age. And the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. For the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. So this is a prophecy of the descendants, physical descendants of Abram being in Egypt, 400 approximate years, and then they are delivered. For the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. We're not going to get off on that. All that means is God is not willing that any should perish, and he gives even the most pagan people an opportunity to repent. And for Hundreds of years, he gives the Amorites living in the land of Canaan an opportunity to repent. And finally, when their sin had reached its full measure, he judges them and in that judgment delivers the children of Israel out of Egypt. Abram's asleep. Somehow later, God must have told him what he said because it's recorded here for us. Or he told somebody. Moses found out, somebody found out, and they ended up making it part of the record of Scripture. But it's interesting, isn't it? Abram's asleep. This thick and dreadful darkness is over him, and now God is prophesying. Here's what's going to happen. Ultimately, your people will be delivered. Man won't understand my timing, but that's okay. It will come in my time. And then, verse 17, catch this. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. Now, I could go to several scriptures to, I believe, prove, I believe, what I'm about to suggest, but that's representing the presence of God. This smoking fire pot, blazing torch, appeared to pass between the pieces of the sacrifice. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. 
And he said, to your descendants, I'll give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Termites, Raphaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Gergashites, all the ites. So the promise includes land, and that promise is still yet to be completely fulfilled. It will be fulfilled in what's called the millennium or the thousand-year reign of Christ. But I don't want you to miss what just happened here. Fascinating. Satan's always been trying to foul up God's plan. And God's plan is specifically fulfilled through the lineage of Abram, a child, a seed, would come through the lineage of Abram. We know that child, Galatians tells us very clearly, is Jesus the Christ, of whom Isaac, who will be the miracle child that Abram and Sarah will have, is a type of, a representation of. Are you with me? And the evil one has always been trying to foul up that plan because it's the plan of redemption. The story of Esther is all about hell and hell's plot to annihilate the Jews. The Holocaust. I hope nobody will argue that the Holocaust was inspired by hell against the descendants of Abram. And then when the Christ was born, Hell used a king named Herod to have all the babies, two years old and under, from the time the Magi had originally come to Herod, have them killed. And by the sovereign plan of Almighty God, God speaks to Joseph. And Joseph takes Mary and the young child, and they go for a while to Egypt to escape Hell's plan to stamp out this child. Let me take you to one verse and then we'll go back to the story that's fascinating. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, go down to verse 6. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. And he's talking not just about physical rulers, but spiritual rulers. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Hell thought we finally done it. We finally ruined the plan for mankind's redemption. When hell inspired Judas, one of Jesus' closest followers, to betray him and ultimately would send him to the cross. And hell thought we have won. Oh, the wisdom of God, that nobody, including Lucifer himself, 
ever saw the cross. And it was through the cross that ultimate victory was won. for joining us today on The Living Word. Pastor Danny's study through Genesis will continue next time, so be sure to tune in again. In the meantime, we encourage you to read through Genesis on your own. As you read, you'll discover more stories and characters and see exactly how God worked in their lives. These true accounts from the beginning of history are meant to inform you, and in this case, remind you of who God is. He loves His creation, you included and He wants to be a part of your life. We're so glad that you took the time to learn from God's Word today, and we'd like to invite you to learn more about this ministry at our website, ccfstpete.church. You'll also learn about Calvary Chapel Fellowship and how you can join us for our weekly worship services. We meet on Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings to spend time in worship and Bible study. You can find out more and get directions at ccfstpete.church. We'd love to hear from you too, so send us an email and let us know how we can pray for you. You can email us at info at ccfstpete.church. Would you pray for us too? We appreciate you partnering with us in this way, and we ask that you pray for your fellow listeners too. We'd also like you to consider supporting us financially. You can find out more on our website, ccfstpete.church. That's all we have time for for today. Thanks for tuning in to The Living Word.